As the new year unfolds, make it a year of comfort and indulgence with Minky Couture. Wrap yourself in the lap of luxury with our exquisite blankets. Picture the cozy moments, the warmth of our premium materials, and the stylish designs that define Minky Couture. Welcome the new year with the ultimate in comfort and sophistication. January is your month to embrace luxury. Visit MinkyCouture.com or your nearest store today. Elevate your comfort, elevate your style with Minky Couture. Welcome to episode number 59 of the Marine Layer podcast. Today we welcome on Scott Braun, the executive producer and host of Foul Territory TV. You might have seen it on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform. Scott, AJ Przinsky, and Eric Kratz, and a bunch of other former big leaguers host a, a new kind of baseball media that we're going to dive into with Scott. It's super interesting, so we recommend you stick around for that. A lot has happened also for the Mariners in the past week, uh, and we have some thoughts. Before we give you those thoughts and really get going with this episode, make sure to check us out on our audio platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Follow us there. Download our episodes. Give us those five-star reviews. Reviews, the downloads seriously do help us out a lot. We also have a video side of this podcast on YouTube, which you can check out. Like, comment, subscribe, and turn those notification bells on. And then follow us on social media. We're always active there. Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube Shorts, at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, recording here on Tuesday afternoon, September 26th, part of the Just Baseball Media Podcast Network. And wow, Lyle, wow. Where where do we start? Do we start by saying they should probably not play any more games in Texas this season? Or 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 would you like to go some other direction? Yeah, I'm fine not playing a game in Arlington, Texas, maybe for the rest of time. Oh my good. Oh my goodness is what I what should a, say. What a disaster. I mean, what what a disaster of a weekend. And let's let's throw this disclaimer out here. I think Lyle and I, um, we both frame ourselves in this sense as fans. So we might we're gonna get a little bit more animated this episode than we would in any other episode. For good reason. As you know, the Mariners have stunk this past week. They've lost the first four as of recording to the Rangers and the Astros in this crucial 10 game stretch of the season. So if you would like a bit of a calmer sense, skip ahead to our uh skip ahead to our conversation with Scott Braun and I think it'll be a little bit better in that sense. But Lyle and I have some thoughts here, so we're going to just get them out. Uh, Lyle, do you have anywhere you would like to to start with this 10-game stretch? I mean, it everything we outlined last week of what the Mariners needed to do in this 10-game stretch to jump into playoff position and to put themselves ahead in this division race, they did the exact opposite. And it's and it's really fucking annoying to watch as we sit here and watch the same mistakes happen over and over and over and over. And here we sit after they get shut out on Monday. Justin Verlander retires 15 in a row in the middle of that ball game and just looking lifeless at home in front of a crowd of 39,000 people on a Monday night. And there might have been one person there for how silent it was at the end of the game. What an absolute fucking disaster. That's where I want to start. You could not draw up a worse start to a 10-game stretch than what they've gone through over the past four days. 
honestly, of all the things we could start with, just as recently as Monday against the Astros, how about this? Why is it every time they play in front of a big crowd at home, they have an outing like that where they just fall flat and don't score any runs? Wish I had an answer for you. And it's the same. I thought it was kind of ironic. It was the same, like, almost effort to show up. Not saying... Who knows what, what the effort level is? We don't know. We They understand these are must-win games. They understand what they need to do in the, get in, into the playoffs, and they didn't do it. But after the game, Lyle, it, wasn't it just so fitting? Scott Service goes up to the podium for his post-game press conference, gives his spiel at the beginning. He'll you know recap the game and give his initial thoughts and then take questions. He didn't get a single question in his post-game presser. Not a single question. He walks off the podium after 10 seconds of being up there. And I couldn't think of any more fitting way to be like, wow, it really does seem over, isn't it? People just are out of questions on trying to explain why this team is performing like this. Could you think of any questions in that moment other than maybe what went wrong for Luis Castillo? What went wrong with the offense? I feel like there were some questions to ask. No, I'm sure there were, but... In the end, don't you feel like you know the answers to? I mean, Luis has had these outings this year where he has elite stuff, but his command stinks. He was a strike away from getting out of that second inning, and it it didn't matter. It didn't matter. He he he, you know, throws a, a middle middle pitch on a two strike count, and boom! All of a sudden, there are four runs on the board. And at that point, you it what it, it wasn't over at that point. It was over when. You have your best player who struggled over the last 10 or so days, Julio, at the plate in the third inning with the bases loaded and all, all the chance to make a statement. It's like, hey, we know this is a must-win game. We need a big swing here for, from the biggest biggest guy in this lineup. Gets a breaking ball, a middle in, clearly in the strike zone, a pitch he probably should hit. I mean, Justin Verlander historically said a good curveball, but he's kind of old now. Julio rolls over on it, rolls to short, grounds into a double play, and the Mariners don't reach base again until the ninth inning. How deflating is that? Like, how 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 does that draw any inspiration? It it, it doesn't. It, it it doesn't. Are we going to talk about how they've now lost ten games in a row to teams with a record better than five hundred? Surely isn't. Surely doesn't draw any inspiration that they're actually going to make the playoffs because you know who you play in the playoffs is teams with with a record above 500. And oh, by the way, that historic stretch they went on in August, yeah, the schedule, as we like to point out, was pretty soft. It was pretty soft in August. We said, hey, September rolls around. The schedule is going to get a whole lot tougher. And to make the playoffs, you're going to need to play well. And they've done the exact opposite. Now, 8 and 14. In September, eight and fourteen, just folding over against the teams you need to beat to get into the playoffs when it needs the most. And both you and I are disappointed. It it, it it's been losing George Kirby starts. It's been losing uh, losing Luis Castillo starts. We'll talk about the Texas Rangers series here in a little bit because I'm, we have lots to say about that one. And the Mariners just it, it's seemingly no show in Texas again. But every which way that they could fail in this final month, they have. The offense has slumped again and has gone back below league average. The pitching is having its worst month of the season all at once. While over the weekend, they still somehow make these boneheaded 
base running mistakes again. It's September. Julio in game three against the Rangers doubles on second base has a while he's on base has a ground ball in front of him to the shortstop. And what does Julio do? Like the team has done all season long. He runs towards third base without looking and gets thrown out by a mile. I mean, it just keeps happening. It keeps happening. And and it boils over for all of us who have to watch it day in and day out. So some people get mad when guys get thrown out at the plate. But in case you're in that group of people, we'll sit here and remind you that a lot of those plays are what they call contact plays, which is as soon as the ball's hit, the guy's running. So that is designed in advance. And when that happens and somebody gets thrown out at the plate, it's frustrating. You want the run to score. But in that situation, that was the play. The runner did what they were supposed to do, and it just didn't work. What you're referencing with Julio trying to take third base on a ground ball to the left side while he's at second base with no force play, those are base running mistakes. Those are straight up base running mistakes that have been going on all season. And the play is in front of you. You're watching the ball. You're seeing where the defender is, knowing how he could throw you out at third base. And it still happens in a series so crucial. Let's talk about this Rangers series. I think we have more to talk about with this series than we do against the Astros series. As of now, somehow, Lyle, despite this rhetoric you and I are are exchanging right now, if the Mariners win the next two games of this Astros series, they're actually in the driver's seat for a playoff playoff spot. Believe it or not, my faith level is zero right now. It is zero. I'm crystal clear. Hold this against me. I'm writing them off. They're done. They're toast. Okay. But that, but that is the case. So let's go to this Rangers series. What were the couple things, Lyle, we highlighted that they needed to do to win this Rangers series? What, what, off the top of your head, what are two of them? We did three keys over at Pub 85 this past week, and a couple of the ones that I highlighted, they didn't do. What did we say? They said they needed to win the Logan Gilbert start. Well, Logan pitched well. That was the one bright spot of the whole series. They didn't win it. We said they need to stop Corey Seager. We said, please, please. Please make somebody else beat you. What does Corey Seager do? Oh, he just hits two fat tanks over the course of three games that totally sucked the life out of the building on the Mariners side of things, at least. So they didn't do that, despite us talking about it. He had a tank in his first at-bat of the series. I think, so here's the, big, here's the biggest indictment on that series. The Rangers rotation, as we know, is hanging on by an absolute thread. It is barely slogging its way towards the end of this season. And yet the Mariners starter got bounced first in all three games. Your strength got bounced early in all three games. How is that supposed to give you a chance to win? We said they need to knock the Rangers starters out as early as possible and get into that Rangers bullpen early. You gotta get, gotta do it on Friday, so they're tired by the time you get there on Sunday, and you give yourself a chance to win against Brian in Brian Wu's start. Well, you couldn't do that because right off the bat on Friday, right off the bat on Friday, they're facing Dane Dunning, who's really struggled this month. I mean, really struggled. And in Dane Dunning's first eighteen batters he faced in that game. He threw three pitches or less to the first uh, 11 of the first 18 batters. Trying to work the count up to get him out of the game. They did the exact opposite and did not score on him until the sixth inning. Dane Dunning, dude. Like, man, like, like talk about setting a bad precedent. That was a bad precedent right off the bat. 
Montgomery was the best of the three that they saw for the condition that everybody's in. And Montgomery's not somebody who strikes a bunch of dudes out. He's not even somebody that should go out and look like a Hall of Famer against you. He's been good. But to pitch the way he pitched against a team that's trying to fight for a postseason spot with an offense that, as we know, when they're clicking, can be really good. They just didn't show up again on that Saturday. They didn't score a run. They just got shut out by Jordan Montgomery. The the big one is Sunday for me. Because honestly, as bad as the series was, if you win even one of those three games, you salvage it. You're in a better spot now than you were, obviously, if you get swept. You, you feel like there's still enough momentum going your way where you can turn this all around. On Sunday, when they face Nate Evaldi, who is legitimately injured, he is pitching injured, and this is the guy that, despite having a really good year as a whole, is probably pitching his worst when they need him the most. Oh, by the way, you didn't have to face Max Scherzer. He's basically done for the year. We know Jacob deGrom's done for the year. So this is lower and lower on the totem pole you're getting with the Rangers' arms. And Evaldi went out there and had no issues. He gave a couple runs, but ultimately didn't have any issues. They they didn't knock him out into the sixth inning. I mean, Nate Evaldi was, if we're talking about the guy who's actually hanging on by a thread, it was him. You you saw his savant breakdown of the game. Every single one of his pitches was down two and a half miles an hour from a season average. If there's not, if that doesn't show you that a pitcher is out there drowning with their stuff and they clearly just don't have it, I don't know what does. And that deteriorates your stuff across the board. His spin rates are down. His velocity's down. His command is down. And it didn't matter because they could not knock him out. Pitching hurt until the sixth inning. And by that time, entering that inning, the score was already six, seven to two. And you're staring uphill at Mount Everest trying to get over that. So that's what I was going to get at. Look, when I say Navaldi had no issues, I don't mean he had no issues. Yeah, he gave up five runs in five innings. That's not a good start. But the fact the Rangers had put the game so out of hand, at least as it seemed to that point, is what it means by he had no issues. Because the Mariners should have knocked him around much earlier in the game than they did and knocked him out to get to the bullpen. Because that was the other key of the series. Go hit the Rangers bullpen. They've been awful. They didn't do that. Now, here's here's what I've got to bring up while we're on the topic of Texas. I haven't heard this talked about much at all. But I'll tell you what my biggest gripe so far is with this series. And maybe this is crazy. Okay, let me rephrase. Not my biggest gripe, but it's high up there. I had major issues with this when it happened. Why in the world, once they cut cut the lead to two runs on Sunday, did Edward Brizardo go back out to throw another inning? I haven't seen this talked about much. I haven't heard people breaking it down much. Maybe this is a me thing. And maybe I'm hung up on it. You can tell me if I'm wrong. But in my opinion... Look, when it was 7-2 to two and you put them in there for the first inning, sure, you're down a lot. You're not trying to use the, the best guys in the bullpen. He threw you a scoreless inning. Great. Move on to the next guy, you'd think. But then they score three runs to cut it to 7-5. You would still probably think a reliever is only going to throw an inning. Maybe Bizarro got would get stretched out to two if they were still down five. No, it was a two-run game. So they send Bizarro out again for another inning of work. This isn't Munoz, this isn't Brash, this isn't Topa. It's Edward Bizarro that they sent out for another inning of work. And he goes and gives up a home run. Rangers go back and stretch their lead. That was my biggest issue because it felt like momentum was starting to build and you could start to treat that Sunday game like a game where you're playing close and really fighting for something. When Edward Bizarro was out there for that second inning, that to me is not what it felt like. 
I'm just wondering why, if you were going to stretch anyone two innings, why not use your best relievers? You you used Munoz and Topa after, despite the fact you were trailing. So why not extend one of them for an inning and a third, and the other for an inning and two thirds? Like it was clear you want to win this game. So I feel like that's a more logical explanation of using your bullpen than letting Bizarro out there in a close game. This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. Catch more frights with The Boogeyman and American Horror Story Delicate on Hulu. And on ESPN Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney Bundle with plans starting at $9.99 a month. Plans with ESPN Plus starting at $14.99 a month. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Uh, I have one more thing, Lyle. And I like we, we talked, we highlighted this last week when we were talking about this series. And we asked Brian Miller and Bryce or Br- Bryce Miller and Brian Wu to keep you in the game and just not not repeat what they did in June. They repeated what they did in June. They Neither of them gave you a chance to win. So you got one good start out of the weekend with Logan Gilbert. The Mariners had some bad luck on Saturday. A couple hard hit balls don't drop. The Rangers two runs score on a couple of bleeders. You lose. Okay, like frustrating, but it happens sometimes. But your starters on Friday and Sunday did not give you a chance to win. They, they didn't. And it's, and it's impossible to win a game when one starter exits uh, down 6-2 and the other starter exits uh, down 4 nothing, and then after he exits two more of his runners that he put on score and the score ends up 6 nothing. So 6 nothing and 6-2 are the scores when those two starters exit. How are you supposed to win games like that? You can't because then you're asking your bullpen that we know has been worked very hard all year. They were rested more for that series to be fair, but they've worked very hard all year to throw a ton of innings. When you're already down a bunch of runs. Look, I know they're asking Brian Miller. We just both did it there. This is where (laughs) we're at in the season. I know they're asking Bryce Miller and Brian Wu to do a lot. Wu especially, and we cannot stress this enough. He threw 57 innings last year in 2022. He threw less than 70 innings over three seasons in college. He's at nearly 130 innings this year, which is way more than anybody expected him to throw. And those 130 innings are combined between AA Arkansas and the majors. I know it's a lot to ask. But he is out there. That's who they're rolling with. And as Velo has gone back up in his last couple starts, they needed more from him than that. They needed way more from him than that. And they needed more from Miller too. And it's just impossible to win those games when you get down that early in two of three outings. It just That's too much on a bullpen. It's too much on an offense. And despite them nearly coming back both Friday and Sunday, you just can't set yourself up to win like that ever. And it makes you nauseous to think they had the tying run either on base or at the plate in every single ninth inning. All of them. And they could have gotten a clutch hit in any of the ninth innings against any of the guys the Rangers had out there on the mound, knowing the struggles they have had closing games. But you know what the Rangers did all three days? They got saves, which is the same amount of saves the Rangers had had in the past two months. <laughs> isn't That's um, funny, isn't it? In, this, <laughs> in one series, they got more saves than they've had in the past two months. And 
what a just awful, just awful, man. And we're we're sitting here, and the Mariners are essentially now one loss away from their what forty first season of no playoffs out of forty six. Do I have my math right? That that's right. Uh, what they made the playoffs five times ever. Five times out of is this season forty six or forty seven? I think it's forty seven. Okay, forty two of forty seven. Then that's what we're staring down the barrel of. Again, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be slightly more optimistic, I know you're not, but just to provide the other perspective, if they get one of three in this series from Houston, which is not good, but if they get one of three and then win Thursday, hypothetically in that scenario, they'd be one out with three to go, and they do have the tiebreaker over the Astros. So then you'd essentially only need to gain one game in three days, which is not ideal, but it's still possible. But point being, you're in big trouble if you don't win each of Tuesday and Wednesday against Houston. And if you get swept, you're really done. Yeah, and, you are really done. And I'm sorry, but like, okay, so back to your point about having the having a chance to win each of those three games late. You're right. And like, you look at the ball Dom Canzone hit on Sunday. That was crushed. It was on the ground, but crushed. It was just right at Nate Lowe. But I'm sorry, like, I, again, I, I'm going back to it again. I cannot get over this Bizarro thing. Because Evan Carter hit a two-run home run off Bizarro in that second inning of work. The Mariners lost that game by one run. What if they went to anybody in that bullpen that you really rely on? It didn't even have to be Brash or Munoz at that point. What if it was Spire? What if it was Topa? What if it was Saucedo? What if it was Campbell? Any of those guys. But, but no. In that game, when you've already lost the first two and you need to salvage that series, you're only down two runs. I, I can't understand why he was out there. I'm sorry. Isn't it frustrating, too, to see the performances on the rookies on both sides in this series? Your two rookies who you sent out there who have been great this season, and you you wouldn't be where you are without them. Go out there and have two of their worst starts of the season. And then rookie Evan Carter for the Rangers had a great series, by the way, as the number nine hitter in their lineup. Uh, That's a pretty good number nine hitter in any lineup in baseball. Hits two home runs. Uh, that dude's going to be really good. I, I was still shocked why Langford's not with this ball club, but uh, you know that that's uh, that's one thing. And then Josh Young, still technically a rookie too. So eh, man, disappointing. Yeah. Let I mean, let's say it again. And I wrote an article about this this week, which you can go check out over on JustBaseball.com if you're curious. The Mariners are not in this position without Brian Wu and Bryce Miller. Like, let's make that abundantly clear. There are many teams out there. That do not lose two starting pitch that lose two starting pitchers and never recover. The Mariners have arguably upgraded from both where Ray and Marco Gonzalez were to what Brian Wu and Bryce Miller have done. They are not in this position without them, but that doesn't change the fact that you were relying on them in your most important series of the season to that point, and you just didn't get anything. Like it's, yeah. it's that simple. I need probably needed a starter at the deadline, right? Pro- probably needed a what well, you. No, you you just sparked something in my head. Yeah. I don't know if I'd say a starter at the deadline. Here's something that maybe isn't talked about enough. Funny enough, I was talking to my dad about this. Did everything not change when Emerson Hancock got hurt? I and, and Emerson Hancock's not supposed to be the key piece to this team. He was supposed to help. But think about it. They were slated to go with a six-man rotation in August, right? Wu and Miller were going to get more rest. Hancock looked pretty promising in those three outings. Everybody was going to get a little bit more time off. Innings would be managed. All of a sudden, Hancock gets hurt. He's done for the year. Everything changed. That's when the bullpen started getting worked more. That's when Wu and Miller were pitching on shorter rest. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's making a big difference right now. And it's not getting talked about that much, but I think it's making a difference. I, I think so too. I think where the, the perspective I come from is that I think a lot of people, as you know, wanted a starter at the deadline instead of having Emerson Hancock, who we know is well-documented with his injury issues in the minors. And they wanted to give him a, a shot in the big leagues. And I think the reasoning for not getting a starter at the deadline was that Emerson was going to come up and fill that role. But now that we're sitting here at the end of the season, like Hancock made two starts before getting hurt or three starts, sorry, three starts before getting hurt. And you were left out to dry with no starter because the deadline had already passed. And you could, I mean, you could have supplemented, I would say you could, you could have supplemented. I don't know who exactly it would have been, but the lack of supplementing your starting pitching at the deadline hurt you here because you you could have used an extra guy and we go back to the reasoning for them not really adding that much of the deadline to say they didn't they were did not think this team was good enough to add to at the deadline and really push real chips forward to make a difference and like at a at a starter at the at the deadline well that thought process has really crushed them over the last three weeks of the season because they're out of gas they needed more from more players, and they didn't get it. This has been so exhausting. I hope they prove us wrong. I hope everything we've just said in these last 24, 25 minutes gets totally proved wrong. They go out and totally turn this thing around. Maybe they'll go out and win six in a row. Let's just swing on a star and wish that, that they go win their final six and turn everything around. But it's hard to really sit here and say that we believe that's going to happen right now. And I'll tell you what, these are as excruciating a four games as I think as I've ever watched as a fan. Some of you might say, oh, well, the Astros series last year. Yeah, that was really tough. But in the grand scheme of things, the way I look back at that series is they were neck and neck with the team that was by far the best team in baseball, went on to win the World Series, and could have won all three of those games, which gave me more optimism heading into this season. I took away from that series, while I was really disappointed at the time, there's a lot to be excited about. These four games are as maddening as, I, as I've ever watched, period. I, I, I've never been so furious watching four games. It's out there to win. You know how the Rangers win baseball games. In two out of those three games, the Mariners were forced to play right into the Rangers' way of winning baseball games. And whose lineup are you taking? I mean, right now it's the Rangers. Yep. And that, that's how it went. You play to your strength, you win. You play to their strength, you probably lose, unfortunately. And that's how it plays out. And now here the Mariners are sitting on the outside looking in. Um, yeah. And, and let's not forget with this Houston series, the Astros just got swept by the Royals this weekend. The Royals. And it didn't didn't look like it affected them at all last night on Monday. Not at all. And uh, I said it earlier in the podcast, I'll say it again. Uh, we, we did confidence levels last week. I put five. I'm at zero now. I'm at zero. Um, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm out of gas too. I'm, I am. Thursday will be an interesting episode, which programming note for Thursday, we are going to record after the game Thursday. So one way or another, everybody's caught up heading into the weekend. Everybody's caught up after that Thursday game against the Rangers for where the Mariners are at. I know sometimes we record a little bit early, but this late in the year with games that are going to be this important, we're going to be very timely with it. So. When we record for Friday's show, it'll be after the Thursday game. So tune in for that. Let's hope they turn it around. Time is really running out. But 
you never know what can happen. It, it all starts here on Tuesday. Yeah, and next week, if they make the playoffs, we'll stick to two episodes a week. Or depending, no. it, might be, it could be more than that. I think we might do game gamely episodes should they make it. If they don't, we will go back to one episode a week. And next week will be our season grades and takeaways. Yes, it will. So we've been doing two episodes a week now since about July. When next season starts again, that's what we'll do again, too, is in season, we'll do two shows a week like we've been doing. Off season, we'll do one a week. But they're in the playoffs come Wednesday's episode, or honestly, not Wednesday's episode, because schedule changes if there's a postseason out, uh, postseason schedule. If they're in the postseason, like TJ said, we will probably be doing a recap after every game. If they're not, we'll go back to one show a week. Anyway, Quick word here, by the way, from our friends over at Pagotcha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. Pagotcha's Pub 85, it's on 85th Street, east of 405 in Kirkland. It's got the best pizza in town. It's got awesome food, drinks. There's 22 TVs in the place. Watch all the sports you want. It's the go-to place in the area to go watch sports. And they've got some really good happy hour deals, too. We've talked to you guys about that. That from 2 to 6, Monday through Friday, there's happy hour deals over at Pagotcha's Pub 85. $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's Blue Moons, $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, $4 House Wines. Go check it out. Go watch a Mariners game there this week. Go watch some playoff games over there if they're in it. Or even if they're not in it, just go over and have a meal. Hang out with your friends anyway over at Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. Scott Braun, Lyle. Yeah, more positive note. Scott Braun, haven't recorded the interview yet. We're set to here in a few minutes, actually. And we're really excited to do so because this is a guy that's done a ton in sports media. He's been on the MLB Network. He's done play-by-play for national games. He's now hosting a new baseball type of medium called Foul Territory with a bunch of former big leaguers. It's super cool. We're excited to talk to him. Should be interesting. And he gets to talk with the most interesting position there is. He hosts with a couple of catchers, AJ Perzinski, Eric Kratz. It's also works in Adam Jones, Todd Frazier, and a couple others as well. It's it's a really interesting product. You should go check them out. They're on YouTube and, and all the podcast platforms as well. But if you want to learn a little bit more about them, let's get to our interview now with Scott Braun. All right, we've got Scott Braun on with us. He's the host of Foul Territory. And it looks like he's in the airport right now if you're watching us on YouTube. Can we get an airport review, Scott? Newark Airport is nice, quiet, and very freshly renovated. I am in Terminal A, which I think is the new one or the newest renovation. So it looks great. I found a somewhat quiet spot, which is tough to do in an airport, especially when some of the airports like to play music that no one wants to hear. But... Um, compared to most, yeah, New York area has drastically improved. LaGuardia, um, which I'm at a lot too, has done a lot of renovations. Not that people are probably tuning in for this, but I do fly all over the place. So maybe in my next life, I'll do airport reviews. Do you have like a ranking of the three New York airports? Because this is kind of like a niche subject. I mm-hmm. like my family's from New York. So is his. So we, we have some experience in the area. I, I usually link, rank LaGuardia down there at the bottom. Well, LaGuardia has gone through significant changes, though, and gotten much better. That's the thing is if you're looking at the last one to three years, because everything strings together for me, I don't know when the renovations occurred. I can't even remember at this point, but it's recent. For me, I'm going to go JFK last on location because unless you are coming from the other side of JFK, I'm coming from usually a New York City type area. 
it just ends up feeling like it takes so much longer to get from LaGuardia to JFK because it's on the same trek there. But it just feels like you get caught. And I am a uh, flight pusher, like often grabbing the gate right before it closes, the whole deal. So you can imagine the extra like 35 minutes it could take sitting on traffic in that area just destroys me. So I'll go... I'll go LaGuardia 1, Newark 2, JFK 3, but Newark's quickly catching up based on their renovations here. Okay, when when you're not rushing around at airports and trying to grab that door to make a flight, you host a a pretty new baseball show called Foul Territory where you have a bunch of former big leaguers on and it's a whole panel of guys. It's only been going a few months now, but it's really cool just as two people who have gotten to sit and watch it from afar. What drew you to go and join that chance to make that opportunity a real thing. Yeah, so we launched publicly in March and it had been many conversations with current and former players over the years, looking primarily at basketball and football and saying, why not us? Why can't our sport have more of the player influence, new media companies and podcast digital social focus with a very authentic spin to everything? No holding back, cursing, just not worrying about another employer. It's independent. feel like we're seeing that from any top athlete in those other sports. And yet, where are our big voices coming fresh out of the game? And then hearing those conversations from the fresh out of the game former players to the current players. So I think I wanted to be a part of that narrative that brings baseball into more of a new media landscape and also just tells people what's going on like it is without restrictions because I think that's important in our game and I also think it's interesting baseball has so much drama and it's worth talking about and sure that could be rules that could be beef with players that could be dumb shit but said by an owner like there's just so much to cover so um, that's what drew me it's a great group it's a lot of different voices but the similarity with everyone besides me just being the point guard travel cop type is that they are pretty recently out of the game. And I think that brings something unique to everyone. And also they're not held back by working for, you know, a team or a league or anything like that. So it's going to produce significantly different answers. And I was always like that in my prior life, uh, working for MLB. I was always raising my hand to be the one who wanted to call games for Facebook and then YouTube versus just calling them on linear television. Like that was interesting to me. Let me work on those projects. That was an audience and also a an interface, right? A user interface that had comments built right into what you were watching, questions, etc. I enjoyed that. It actually took away from the game coverage sometimes, right? Where you're calling a game and I'm keeping an eye on everyone asking questions. But I felt like that's how I would watch a game and I want to include the people that are watching. They're, they're very smart <laughs> often. Some of them are dumb and they're trolls and you can figure out ways to sift through them. But that's what stood out to me. Who is the the one? Was there one player leading the charge of this, trying to make this happen? Uh, no, I was part of the group that created oh. it. AJ Przinsky is one of the OGs, so okay. I do the show primarily in Orlando from Monday to Thursday. Friday sometimes we're on the road, are often on the road for um, our partnership with BetMGM. We'll end up at casinos, we'll end up at ballparks. Last week we were in Cincinnati, and. AJ is often leaving on Fridays to call a game for Fox, which obviously we want him to still do that. That is his 
game calling life and he's excellent at that. So uh, yeah, it was myself and some other people behind the scenes on the baseball side that were looking at the industry and saying, I feel like there's a major void here. I mean, I, I experienced this even in my past job at MLB. People were like, anyone know any good podcasts? And most people were like, nope, for baseball, nope. You know, no offense to you guys, obviously. They're talking about the national <laughs> side of things. but um, or, or they would just have some suggestions and feel like, hey, there's there's got to be more player content out there. And we would look to the Pat McAfee show, I Am Athlete, the Kelsey brothers, all of these other avenues out there on the player side that was not BS. It was just, hey, here's what's going on in my life for the week, and here's my take on the sport. So that's where it came from. Is there something you realize now about players after doing this show that you didn't realize before? I would say they're just like us, but I mean, <laughs> I've been around players just a lot for richer. a while. Yeah, a lot richer. Although not all of them, yeah, right? That's if fair. you're a league minimum guy for a few years, like you're you're doing well, but it's not like I can retire off you know three years on a league minimum salary, six figures in the bigs. You're 25 years old and you only made it for three years. You're still gonna have to do something else. Um, so let's see. Is there anything that I've learned that I didn't realize? Have to think about it. I mean, I think there's a lot of things within the sport that I didn't realize, even though I've been in major league clubhouses for well over a decade regularly, every week basically on the road, especially the last several years. So, for example, the prominence of being able to take the microphone on the bus. And if you're a rookie, you might have to sing and that there's comedians that take over on a bus trip, which I think is cool. And that humanizes the guys. And if you have a player asking that to another player, you'll usually potentially get the rated R version of the story, which I think is more interesting. So um, I think some of the things that the teams do together or the shit talking that guys do. I mean, we had Rowdy Telez, who's, who's an absolute gem back on yesterday. And actually, I think his comments might have gotten a little bit misconstrued, but he didn't even care. He's just like, whatever. He's such a chill dude, and he wants people to realize how the sport operates with guys just going at each other in the locker room in a fun way. So Donaldson joins the Brewers, right, a couple weeks ago. And one of our guys was like, oh, you scared to talk to him? And Rowdy's like, no. He's like, I went up to him, said some choice words, like, playfully, and said, introduce yourself to everyone. And then he's like, everyone knows who I am. You know, shit like that, that you just love to be a fly on the wall for. So I think we're getting a lot more of that out there nowadays where I hadn't heard a lot of the back and forth in the past. I'm talking about the good back and forth, not the I met so-and-so and he helped me move my pinky finger on my swing. Like, I, we get a lot of that. Let's get something else. You know what I really appreciate about your guys' show is – also, just the attire that you guys wear. Like, you guys are laid back. Like, you know, a lot of you guys either wear T-shirts or sweatshirts or just things that I think genuinely engage people more because I think your look can say a lot. And I think the fact you guys keep it casual is very inviting to a lot of fans who say, okay, like, they're not taking themselves too seriously. And I think that resonates with people. We were all big on that because I think there's way too much suit wearing in sports. It is so try hard. Who goes to a game wearing a suit? Baseball game. How many people do you see at a baseball game wearing a suit that doesn't work for the team? Zero? Maybe maybe two as a joke? Maybe Halloween? I don't know. I just, I don't get it. It's sports. It's not a wedding. 
it's not, I don't know, funeral. Like everyone else is wearing chill clothing. And I don't think anybody's looking at a show, especially a show, right? Like you're watching a show. I mean, it's the same thing with television for me nowadays. I still think it's like just aggressive. I, I'm, I, I did that. I wore a suit most days for most of my life just now in, as an adult. Um, at MLB, and I felt silly most of the time. Like people are watching me talk about such a fun topic in life, and I look like my life is on the line. You know, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. So I'm with you. I'm such a t-shirt, jeans, shorts, whatever kind of person, and so is basically everyone else in our sport. So that's the best way for people to feel comfortable. Also, if we had to dress up in suits every day, I would. I wouldn't do it. I would quit. <laughs> <laughs> you guys going to do it as a joke one Friday, formal Friday? Uh, no, because it would break the rules. Yeah. Wear whatever you want. That That's the rules. Wear whatever you want. So maybe on Halloween or I don't know. I can't see a scenario where we'd actually wear a full-on suit. We've had some meetings for, for the show and for the company. And even still, I mean, some of those meetings, I think I've been like one step up. So it wasn't t-shirt and shorts, but it wasn't too much of a step up. It might have been like, short sleeve button down and jeans, which is probably the furthest that will go. I hope so. If we're in suits a few years from now, unless somebody dumped so much cash on us for like a suit deal that we couldn't say no, then um, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, you host with you, you host with two catchers and you know, they have so the catchers have so much personality. They, they have to lead the, the, the infield and such. And it, it sometimes as the case with AJ and Eric, it, it, it takes, it takes them post career as well with your show that you guys do. Did that convince you that you know, they had the biggest personalities on the field? Did you know that catchers already had the biggest personality before and, and it and it just worked out? Or did all your interviews during this run of foul territory convince you that another position actually has the biggest personalities? Catchers are the quarterbacks. Anyone that says otherwise is wrong. I learned that in college. I worked for the Somerset Patriots in high school. So I started to see that. College solidified it for me. I covered the University of Miami because I went there and I called games there. But also, this is, this was the sweet spot for learning a lot about what I know about the game now is I would spend summers in the Cape Cod Baseball League calling games up there for the Chatham A's. And it was early days of doing broadcasting up there. Now they've got a full-fledged operation for every team. And it had only been in the works for maybe three, four years back then, started by some people that I know. They're kind of legends out there now for starting the whole process. But when I was there, the best interviews and the most reliable guys were like the three catchers on the team. There were other great ones too, but I learned from people around me. They would go, oh, just go to the catcher. Like He knows everything going on with the team. It's usually got to be a good communicator, great speaker, all of that. So I feel, I feel like that's the case. Plus, they can break down offense and pitching better than most other position players. I think there's some position players that are like, I don't know. I don't pitch. I don't care. So they have to know. I think that's such a money position in the sport. And still on a casual fan basis, I think it's underappreciated how good catchers can be as analysts in the sport. I think we happen to pick two of the best baseball personalities out there, but this is the platform for them. AJ obviously does his games. That's different. But for AJ and Pratt's, they want to talk like this, not in the cookie cutter 20 seconds to make your point, but be very calculated, calculated with it 
type of format. I actually auditioned Eric Kratz when he came to MLB and I was like, he's too raw. <laughs> he's got he's to gotta do digital social pod. <laughs> Which is really cool and it embodies everything you guys do. And it's funny now going back to the whole attire thing, going back to, again, how you approach your whole show. Like we do a little bit of stuff like that. Like, so we get out to some of the Mariners games and we do some mini mic things with players where we just ask them a bunch of fun questions and it's the same idea we said look if we showed up the way that a lot of the media shows up like some of the on-camera tv hosts out there for some of the news networks if we're in a suit and tie we'd look ridiculous asking these questions we've got to be more laid back we've got to show that we don't take ourselves too seriously and that's how you get the best answers out of guys so it's cool to see a lot of baseball starting to shift that way in the sense of Baseball can be fun. People can be laid back. And this is what I feel like the game itself has been going for for such a long time. And I feel like over the last couple of years, we're starting to really have some movement toward that. It's existed. It just hasn't been fully executed. It hasn't been brought out enough. It exists and it's been brought out, but not enough. So I think that our sport is super interesting. And it also has the volume that most other sports don't have, where Something will pop up almost every day from a game or from news or from both. And it lasts for a long time. We don't have a ton of downtime in the sport. If you're counting spring training and then the action that goes on in the offseason, baseball does a really good job as an industry of stretching out the news. You know, one thing that I've heard in the past about other sports is, oh, well, you know, you guys should have that total frenzy where for what, 24, 48 hours, everyone signs in the NBA and baseball's answer is yeah we don't want it to drag too long so i think there's that balance because like when bryce harper and machado and some of those guys signed way late i thought that was bad because then spilling into spring training and taking away from that and starts to die down it's almost like too much hype for too long but at the same time if everyone just signed on like november 10th no one would give a crap until february whatever so i do like how all the news kind of spreads out for a while and you're right on on being yourself when you're at games and you're talking to guys. I think that and also, I mean, at least for us, allowing the guys to curse, like it always happens where they're like, oh, I listen to the show and they're like, I, I think I can, right? They're like, can I say I don't give a shit? I'm like, yeah, go ahead. They're like, okay. You know, and and you feel like you can open up a little bit differently. So, and it's, yes, there, there's a component of it where you don't want it to just like a video conference call. So we definitely have, have dressed it up a little bit. So it feels big for the guys that are coming on. And now it's gotten pretty big. So they're cool with it. Plus we have a streaming deal with a service that puts it not only through their streaming platform in stadium, but also on TV. Although um, it doesn't run live on the TV version because of the cursing, but then it, they dub it and they rerun it. Last question for me, Scott, was there an adjustment period for you? Did, did someone have to, someone have to tell you to loosen up when you were doing it the first couple of times? And they're like, Hey, like actually like, remember this isn't TV. You, you, you could do whatever you want. The opposite. So there were producers that I worked with that reached out either to me or to some others that I was working with that are my producers now. And they said, Scott putting some, you know, putting on a front is, is he trying too hard? Is he doing too much? And the answers from those that know me best were, no, that's how he always is. And I talked like that all the time uh, behind the scenes. And I would try to bring out my personality, but you know what? It, when I look back, I couldn't do it the way I wanted to. I don't have regrets about anything, but I couldn't bring it out the way that I actually talk with everyone. And when I get going, which I'm not the top ranter, 
on the show because I want it to be focused around players. But sometimes I do have to just get after it when someone says something really dumb in my mind or kind of defend the like media portion of the show because I'm the one on that side. I'll just give you one quick example. Josh Hader spoke to the media after the 2-1 loss for the uh, Padres against the Giants. And really, again, it didn't mean anything technically. And that was kind of the point of the argument was he was getting questions from reporters about like the whole not going more than three outs thing, which goes back to him having kind of beef. I mean, I could say with the, with the Brewers, I don't know the whole story. So I don't want to like act like, Oh, Josh is my best friend and he told me everything, but there was definitely beef about salary arbitration and how it's like, well, if you don't care about me and you're actually going to ding me for being used for multiple innings, then I want to be a three out guy and rack up saves and know my role and do my thing. Cause I'm one of the best relief arms in the sport. So anyway, the reporters were asking about how you know he could have come in to a moment where it was a lefty-lefty situation in the eighth inning and then picked up three more outs in the ninth. And I think some of the players that I was just on with, like AJ and Pratt, obviously, primarily, thought, you know, maybe poking the bear or it's a bad question. I was like, no, it's not a bad question. I said, actually, the way it played out was perfect. That question could be asked because they were like, they should ask it earlier in the season when the games mattered. But Hayter's response was like something along the lines of, are we – playing for the playoffs right now because I think mathematically they still had maybe a day or two left to be eliminated but it's over so I thought the answer was fine I thought the whole way it played out was fine so I just wanted to present the other side and say hey no you want the media to ask that and I want the real answer back from Josh being like essentially season's over now you're asking me about four outs we're good it's not the time so just a little kind of inside uh piece of what goes on on a daily basis when I will kind of raise my voice and say, oh, hold up, hold up a second. Let me present to you what some others are seeing on this topic. And the last one I've got, Scott, is favorite player you've had on the show so far is who? And who gives you the best answers? Ooh. There's like different versions of best answers. So I'll go back to Raddy just because, I mean, I, he had injuries and more of an up and down this year. And he'll be the first to tell you that. Last year, the 30-100 guy playing for the Milwaukee Brewers, a perennial playoff team contender. And I felt like nobody knew him. And he's not on social media, but still. He curses. He's one of the top trash talkers in the sport. He gives you real answers. Almost so much so that like he, he likes to kind of joke around a lot and be sarcastic. Kind of tell like designed lies just to get a rise out of people. So I would say he is up there and that's also fresh off my mind. But then there's some of the superstars too, which I think is important. When we interview a superstar like a Mookie Betts or a Mike Trout, what makes me smile is that we'll look at each other afterward and be like, I haven't, I haven't been able to interview him like that before. I haven't heard him talk like that, right? Something along those lines. So I felt that with Trout when we were talking to him about Otani. I felt that with Mookie Betts when we were talking to him about leaving Boston, how he didn't want to go and he wasn't really feeling LA. Like all of those types of conversations with the big boys stand out too. And then you got the sneaky guys. So obviously I'm being super political, not giving you one answer. I'll give you a rowdy. Just I'd like to obviously um, try to pat myself from talking, but I can't sometimes. But um, Zach Allen stood out too because I, I like when guys. We'll just say, hey, the like Cardinals traded me, and I was kind of, I'm paraphrasing again, pissed about it and felt like because I didn't go to some random mini camp for a few days and it wasn't 
exactly the cardinal way, they might have just made me more available for trade. And aha, I'm going to use that as a chip on my shoulder. That's a great narrative. I'm all about that. And, and I love that stuff. So those are a few that said. Well, I would bet the Arizona Diamondbacks are sitting there saying, I am glad Zach Gallon did not go to that minicamp. I'll say that much. So, Hell yes. Scott this has been so awesome we've really enjoyed getting to talk with you getting to learn a little bit more about foul territory and we certainly don't want you to miss your flight so we'll let you get to that but we hope we can do this again sometime soon because this has been great yeah absolutely Lyle and TJ I appreciate all the questions about FT it's obviously something I, I left my previous job to do this believe in this I've had a great time connecting with fans you guys do a great job and uh, we can definitely kick it in the off season with some Mariners uh, talk too, when I'm not at an airport being disrupted by the beautiful PA system. But I will say good luck to the boys. It was um, a team that I thought would go very far and still has a chance to do so, even though the young pitching is making me a little nervous down the stretch. But we can certainly kick it on some ends because the guys on my show were giving me crap for a good chunk of the year. And then I got to kind of fight back at them the last several weeks. So finish strong, get in the playoffs, and then we can talk about it in uh, November. That sounds great. And there's a teaser for all the listeners. We'll circle back to this in a few months down the road and talk some errors with Scott. Thanks again. Cheers, guys. See ya. Good interview with Scott Braun. And before we continue, let's hear from BetterHelp. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless, if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or you're just a human who lives in this world who's going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to the options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod. That's betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in our description or visit betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod. Really enjoyed that interview with Scott Braun. Helped him bridge the gap from security to his gate, which we're always very happy to do. But it's nice to get a little background on why they started that show. Him, one of the leaders of getting that show out there and to the public and gives really gives the players a voice that they've never had before in the media world. And I can't stress it enough as one of the questions we asked him was being seeing baseball continue to grow and their show doing that, it's absolutely doing that. And I think, like I said, over the last couple of years, that's happening. And you're seeing it more with the new form media, with podcasts, with content creation, with their show, with what Just Baseball as a whole network is doing, what we're trying to do. Everybody out there, Jared Carabas, another example of being just fun baseball content, showing people that these players have personalities. Baseball is a fun game. It's exciting. There's reason to be invested. And they're doing a great job of that on that show. What they do with foul territory, 
is they let players be themselves and they let those guys really shine and show people, yeah, I'm a fun person to listen to. Not all the media interviews I do are cookie cutter. So if you haven't checked out Foul Territory, I would really encourage you to go do so because it's it's really a cool thing. And it's also pretty new. So it's just getting going here. And before we wrap up, Lyle, are they going to do it? I don't know. And I'm probably more on the more optimistic side than you. What? Okay. Record prediction for the rest of the year is what? And we'll, we'll count here on this Tuesday because this is when we're recording. So Tuesday through Sunday, final six games are doing what? Two and four. Yeah, I was I was gonna say three and three. I'd love to say six and zero. Oh. I'd love to say they'd win six in a row or even five and one, but it's really really hard to do that right now. So I'll say three and three. You you know what? You know what I think will happen as we start to wrap this up. I think of these next three games between the two against Houston and the one against the Rangers, they will win two of those in some form or another. So in some form, they're gonna start to give everybody hope again. And they're going to draw everybody back in and start believing again. But they're not quite going to get over the hill and get into the playoffs. That's how I'm feeling. I really, really hope I'm wrong. Me too. But as we sit here today, my confidence level is as low as it's ever been. And there's nothing they have shown here on the field in September that gives me belief they can get it done. So your confidence level is zero, but you're saying two and four. Wouldn't you say 0 oh and six? But two and four means you miss the playoffs, so that's that's correct. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, let's hope TJ and I are both wrong. Let's enjoy the next couple of games. Try to enjoy it at least. And then we'll be back for a Friday show to recap it all. So that'll just about wrap it up for this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full-form podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. If you do that, make sure to follow us. Make sure to download our episodes and please leave us that five-star review. That really does wonders for us. The reviews and those downloads help us out a ton. Check us out on the video side. We're on YouTube. You want to go see Scott Braun in the airport or TJ and I just sitting and hanging out. We're on YouTube. Go like, comment, subscribe, and turn our notification bells on. And then follow us on social media. We're like we talked about doing all these player interviews. We're always active on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.